Welcome to Screen Talk. I'm Aaron Cohn. I'm Ann Thompson. And boy, I was ready to just spend the whole episode talking about Mission Impossible, which I finally caught up on. But then the whole damn industry shut down. The SAG strike has begun. You and I tuned in to listen to Fran Drescher make Yiddish jokes that even I couldn't totally follow for a half an hour. I was counting on you to explain <laughs> that one to me. <laughs> I'll have to go back and, and, and listen a little bit more closely. It was quite something to watch this press. We, we started to suspect this was quite likely that the the strike would happen for for at least the last few days, if not if not more. Uh, but but the feeling of it happening and watching the the statement of of, of you know SAG's president and, and chief negotiator in real time, it, it makes you realize both the magnitude of the situation and just how unprecedented it is. I mean, it's really shocking. This is the first time the actors have been on strike since 1980. Um, and certainly when that happened, it didn't happen on, at the same time that this WGA strike was happening. Was 1986 that they had a 14 hour strike. So. 14 hours. OK, yeah, we can split hairs on that is is the last one. But this is this is the first strike that goes with this particular contract. Yeah. And, and on so, top of the writer strike, which has been going on for almost uh, you know close to 100, was it 80 days now, something uh, close to 80 days. It's 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 truly destabilizing in a way we've never seen before. The writers are feeling a lot of pain and there's a lot of anger uh, building up on all different sides. This is what's so disturbing uh, about us. Any kind of work shut down like this because other people are put out of work. People don't make their health plans. They don't have income. You know, it, they have to they're forced to go out and get other kind of kinds of work. It's a it's a really tough thing to watch. But the other people I'm speaking to as well, like I spoke to someone over at, at Disney, where they've had 7,000 layoffs and people are cutting their departments. And yeah. you know, there's there's a lot of pain attached to that. So you can feel the pain across the industry. It is not um, a pretty picture because it anyone who watched the press conference, but you didn't, you know, it's it's so clear anyway that they are so far apart they're incredibly when they nail down what the ai offer from the studios was i gasped audibly i said whoa they literally want the studios want this is this is indicative of where they are which is not a good thing the studios want to take background players scan them and hold their likenesses forever and have the rights to them that shows you this is about a digital world, a world where CGI is is a daily thing. And this would save them money if they could do that. But this is where the actors have to protect their likenesses and give people permission to use their likenesses. Right. And this is not. Well, and it uh, goes. It's beyond what that, but that what that offer represents is a lot. What she said, she used the word. Fran Drescher used the word tone deaf. She was also very entertaining, by the way. Fran Drescher, very much of a drama queen. She's very uh, dramatic, but she's serious and she's angry. Well, and, well and, she was being a vestal for the anger of so many people when right. she said, "I wrote this down. You cannot change the business model as much as it is it. changed, and not line. expect the contract to change right. too." I mean, right. the example you said. I'm sure that the AI, the AI situation is such an expansive challenge. I'm sure that was one of several examples and no, we'll probably real learn more. Challenge but, but the, no, but the thing is what you're talking about. The real challenge has to do with residuals and how they're going to be 
uh, structured so that people can share in uh, in success in the performance of their projects. But also, and so- uh, even in with the AI thing that you mentioned with the, the background extras and the fact that they want to pay them for a day's work and then use their likeness forever, what it shows you is that the business on both ends isn't set up to deal with, with new economic realities. Like the studio doesn't know how do you start paying residuals for somebody's AI likeness when they're a background actor and could appear in, you know, a random crowd scene they want to use them in in some movie five years down the road? There's so Actors many open questions. We'll never give that up. They will never let that happen. They're going to the, the, the writers are trying to do the same thing. They're trying to draw a line in the sand. Writers write. Computers do not. Um, actors act. Computers do not. And and she used the word tone deaf. And that is what I'm seeing here. Even Iger, who you think would have more sensitivity when he came out today over at, at the Allen conference and made made a, a statement that the that the demands of of the actors were unrealistic, you know. Yeah. Um, I was shocked that he did that. I mean, maybe he felt no, like despite that the media blackout. I mean, but it was just it was shocking. I mean, that on top of what people are calling union busting maneuvers, because uh, there are anonymous sources saying that they're going to basically, um, you know, starve everybody, starve out the everybody until the, and then go back Brand to the table, table. Out, storming the gates of Versailles at, at the conference. And she said they were writing quotes from from uh, from that anonymous source on a whiteboard. I mean, the thing is, like, too much of this has clearly played out in public in a way that's in inflamed a lot of tensions no and the, 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 the studio has thought they could be powerful in a way that obviously has only made things worse. I mean, b- bringing that federal mediator from the Biden administration, if you want, but the actors aren't going to just say, great, the government will just solve it for us. They want yeah. to be able to say they're solving. It. I mean, what they them. were actually suggesting today was that the studios were so callous and so calculating that they asked for that 12 day extension so that they could get more promos out of the movies that are coming up, Oppenheimer and Barbie, that that was actually what their goal was. They didn't actually negotiate during this period for much uh, of the time. They were wasting time, according to Fran Drescher. Yeah, I mean, I, it's interesting because I thought of that that strike extension. It's helping the SAG in the sense that you don't really want to go on strike during the 4th of July holiday when a lot of people aren't working anyway. So it, it benefits them to make more noise going on strike right now when productions are just going to start shutting down immediately. What was interesting was that Billy Ray, who used to be on the strike committee for the for the negotiating committee for the writers for several, uh, several times, he was on Kim Masters, uh, the business, and he said that the only I mean, he's very militant, but he said that the only reason that the actors should ever have agreed to an extension was if they were promised a sit down with the CEOs, which they did eventually get on the last very last day, I guess they they I'm sure it was very cordial. A very they got on a zoom with them but but um it, as we understand it the the ceos met on their own uh, with the negotiating uh person from the amptp and it shut down everything that that the actors wanted wanted to do um but it's it's here they are the optics are so revolting here they are the the emperors you know the the emperors from the decadent overpaid billionaire emperors are are in in uh 
in Idaho, in Sun Valley. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, I, you know it's, it's such an awful juxtaposition. It's really a let them eat cake situation. It really is. And and I, I wonder how long that logic will hold. I mean, they, they feel beholden to, to Wall Street. Everyone's saying that it's true. They're just not hiding it. We live in an era where people are more open about these things. Uh, we'll see what the stock market does. It may be okay for now for these companies but over time people are going to start getting frustrated if they're not getting the shows and, and movies they want to see and that's definitely going to affect their bottom line and that will affect the stock price so well we'll see we'll see how long how long they're they're acting like they're willing to hold out for for a long time while let the let the writer starve you know seems to be their their approach i guess what i'm picking up on here in a way this is to state the obvious I haven't seen in all the strikes past a situation where the CEOs seem so disconnected and unaware of what these issues mean to the people they're negotiating with. I don't think Sarandos, I don't think Zazalov of all people, or even Iger, according to his own statements, really have any sense of what they have to do to make this strike end. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because when you look at Iger, you know, the, the contrast between Iger and Chapik was always like, well, Chapik didn't get it. You have to keep the talent happy. And in a way, this is on some, an extension of that, but on a on a much larger scale. It's all of the talent that contributes to your product. 7,000 layoffs, right? So that's where that's where things are difficult. You know, they're looking. Yeah, he's, they he's just worried about his immediate needs. Lines. Yeah, they his immediate their pain and their fear right. in in the in the context of what you're talking about at uh, Wall Street that that's where they're that's where they're looking to be afraid of right. their own jobs. Yeah, they're speaking two different languages, different kinds of value systems in play right. that do overlap to a certain degree. They just haven't fully shown that that they they overlap yet. I mean, These a few months down the line, the and they feel like they should be able to tell them what to do. That's what they are accustomed to doing on a daily basis. The, they're not used to this kind of labor unrest. I find this really fascinating. It's not good. It's not going to be easy for anyone. I'm not. I feel terrible for everybody who's going to be suffering through this. But just uh, looking at it, uh, in a, I mean, I've I've been watching this industry for a really long time. Never seen anything like this. All right. So let's talk about some of the the fallout. You know, assuming that this will go on as as for a long time as as we expect, it probably will. Uh, we are, are we have been anticipating fall festivals. We have been sort of plotting out award season, uh, Emmy season, and you know, the Emmy nominations were this week. Uh, so Emmy, you cannot no as an Emmy actor campaign, campaign? No nothing campaign. There is no phase two. Actors cannot. I mean, they can do directors. They can do writer, not writers. They can't do them either. No they writers. Directors, producers who aren't writers. showrunners. Yeah, that's right. Showrunners who aren't writers. They can do. They can do. The craft teams can can promote, but that's not the sexy stuff. And the so the actors are going to sacrifice all of that. They're all going to go home. It's going to be like the pandemic. They're going to be quiet for a while. Maybe they'll enjoy it. I I wonder even if the Emmys will postpone. I mean, it's it's a really the interesting. Show will have to postpone the show if if this is going to. I look at this situation and see no easy solution in the near term. 
Yeah. I, I mean, we even, look at what's they're not the, even the, talking the about talking to each other yeah. for the, the, the near term. They're, yeah. If you look at the, the the same day as the strike, the Iger comments, it shows you that the industry is just a deliberate, too far apart. calculated yeah. thing. They all plan. That just shows you know, just, that is a saber rattling thing. That was a there's just no way to come together. Technique. Yeah. It's not like tomorrow. Suddenly they, they'll like be like, all right, off the cuff. And and, you know, because he felt like it. It's not. No, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it really illustrates to you just how far apart the discourse is that's now. Right. And, right. and so, so, so okay, so the enemies probably get moved. Soon. And then and the question be, is, when do they get moved, right? right? So let's say they were to settle. All right, so let's say we got Telluride, we got, which is a quiet little summer Mountain camp Town. festival where you can get away with people not doing interviews, but they won't be able to do Q&As. They won't be able to do tributes because the rules are past present and future projects with contracts involved with the AMBTP. Yeah. So you can't have a person talking about their past, their past movies either. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a tricky one, right? I mean, I would tell you, right. So we, you, you were about to say, so it's, we have Venice and tell you, right. Kind of overlap and then Toronto and New York, but Venice is immediately one. because red carpets are everything. I mean, even during COVID when they, they were the one big festival that happened in COVID in 20, in 2020 COVID, they managed to do that out of it. and they had actors who could get on zoom and promote projects and stuff so they there was still this sense of of how a festival works in in play so here it's like well the actors can't get on the red carpets doesn't really make sense to like have them there because there's there, no matter there's cameras everywhere they're going to be promoting the project if they're there so then they're not so it falls on the filmmakers it's by be themselves are us, you know? So, yeah. so if say Nyad goes to Telluride instead of an Annette Benning tribute, they're going to have to rely on Chai Vassarhelyi and Jimmy Chin to talk about the movie. And, yeah. and that's what's, that's going to happen across the board. Right. Bradley Cooper going to Venice with Maestro is an interesting case because you can imagine Netflix sending him to Venice to talk up the you know the movie just his directing just director <laughs> yeah. but he can be there in in the in the audience and take his kudos and his bows and everything but what kind of interview can he give where he can't i don't know talk but about the acting that he did no i that that's it's it's but it's remember we talked about this with can where you had wga members who were also dga members promoting move like scorsese and wes anderson or whatever overseas so they sort of got away with it well, venice is overseas venice too it's overseas too uh it's an interesting question um because technically any any movie that's coming up that is a contract with the amptb he can't promote yeah that's that's a fascinating one and i'm I sure he that goes they're, they're silently i think they send him they get the visual he loved that <laughs> and you know he says thank you very much you know. <laughs> the best oscar campaigning he did on the last movie he directed uh was when he stayed silent so perhaps this works <laughs> yeah he did some pretty gnarly interviews on that movie but then telluride is really interesting it's like a lot of like a-list actors and 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 directors and people like in the industry who are academy members as well just like to go to that festival so maybe they will maybe they will all go and have a great time and we'll hang out with them but we won't be able there's a whole sort of awards clash of people that go to telluride more than the other festivals it's very award centric and yeah. they they do interviews while they're there um and i'm i am accustomed to lining up a few things ahead of toronto and then catching up in toronto yeah toronto is where you see an issue there where this where you could see the publicity firms and the studios not going with the junkets that they had planned if their people yeah. can't can't be yeah. there 
So the that's a whole, down effect is huge. Uh, I, I find it interesting because, because, because of, all right, let's talk about this. Toronto, I don't think it's a Telluride thing. I think it's more Venice and Venice people will show up, right? They'll go to see the movies, the locals, the people who buy tickets. They will sure. And there, well, there is a local element to Venice, but there's also an industry presence beyond, you know, there's, it's a European yeah, industry. They usually do junkets for Europe mostly. Yeah. And they'll still yeah. do. They'll still do that. And the, it and isn't the media an American presence. festival so much, really. No, no, exactly. So that's why you have uh, certain films will go straight from Venice to Telluride, and others they do a lot. They do their or flashy straight from Venice to Toronto. They right, do they'll do their flashy Venice thing, and then they do the present tip. So the so, other movie that is a worrisome one is is Poor Things, Searchlight, right? Yorgos so Lanthimos opening early with that September eighth. So they're using Venice and. London and uh, New York as the launch, not the festivals, but the actual cities going yeah. there to do promotion. And that to, has a uh, huge ensemble. The movie. And they have yeah. this huge ensemble. I think there's like eight people that they were going to send. I don't know what they're going to do now. And and they, they, um, they are not... Uh, I can't see how they open that movie without Emma Stone doing promotion. You can't sell that movie on Yorgos Lanthimos, it seems to me. No, it's a big, expensive movie. If you look at that trailer, you could see the, the scope of it, too. I mean, you could sell it as an art film that way, but you can't sell it to a mass audience without, say, Emma Stone on Late Night or whatever. I mean, even with The Flash, you saw, like, not having your lead actor promoting a movie on that scale can it have a, a... Yeah, it, it did. did. I mean, I don't it think he's a star. Uh, I think Emma Stone is more of a star. So even a more so in this case. Yeah, they need her. And I, if I were... I'm, I, I feel terrible because it is the specialty companies and i spoke to someone who said this to me that this could really hurt them you know the this this situation with the actors and the festivals oh yeah because they need they need the support the publicity the promotion to to get people to go to art houses and see these movies it's it you know this is you know focus searchlight sony pictures classics this is their bread and butter now that's going to hurt them. Yeah, I think I think that's true. I'm also curious about the uh, the much smaller arena of the specialty business and whether or not there is some kind of weird unspoken upside for international films in all of this. Because if you're not a if you're non-union because you're from another country. And uh, I mean, if you're just like not affected by it, like maybe the movies that make the most noise at Venice or, or TIFF are going to be movies that so we don't have to worry with, about all this uh, stuff. With, with the anatomy of a fall as the front runner. Yeah, for the I'm, sure, I'm sure no. Neon is scheming. There you go. Hey, I love that you're the one who predicted something like that now. Because <laughs> I always go for that crazy gonzo. So you never know what might happen with the international. There's a very thing. big, I loved anatomy of a fall, by the way. There's, there's a very big um, contingent of international voters that could have, and I did do, yeah, uh, director predictions, and and I I I actually think uh, that could have an impact on on the on the race. But I'm I'm just upset because art houses are already under threat. They're already that whole ecosystem is already fragile, fragile, and and this is only going to hurt them more. Assuming it goes on for a long time. Now, if they settle in 
Also, these festivals are still recovering from the pandemic. They they need to make revenue. They need everybody's to back. still recovering from the pandemic. You know? But art house, that's an interesting question. So how how does this affect art? Because art houses are going to have plenty of things to to show. I mean, it's not they like they need they're... to be promoted in order to get people. To but show. they may, it may it's just hard to get people to see stuff. How are you going to promote? For example, let's just use poor things. How do you promote that? Yorgos Lanthimos does Q and A's. Great. They have to spend more in different ways, probably, to get assets and visibility of the movie out there. Times Social Square media. billboards. Yeah, yeah all of that of stuff. Little clips, little stuff. Searchlight's good at that, actually. They're very good at that. Um, they're very good marketers. Yeah. It's going to take a while, I think, to really feel the the pain of that. But it, but these movies are especially vulnerable, as, as you say. Again, when I talk about art houses, though, I think is there a weird upside where it's like, well, suddenly, you know, the little the little independent theaters have the most to gain because, you know, they're they're sort of untethered from these particular challenges. I mean, they're not getting the Yorgos Lanthimos movies like those things are being booked at bigger theaters by and large. So. You know, there there is still a smaller ecosystem that may or may not be as affected by all of this. And that will also have the presence at festivals and a presence at our houses. And so, you know, I just think it's worth acknowledging like that that side of the industry may or may not get as hard hit. And then you have the whole question of, um, you know, documentaries and unscripted and the studios are going to try to shore up all this unscripted content. Uh, which may or may not help on the documentary side. But I mean, for example, I was talking to Rebecca Ferguson yesterday and she was on her way to Sweden to go hang out with her family, having completed her Mission Impossible promo chores and her, um, uh, you know, finished Dune 2. And now she's now she's got to she's in the middle of shooting Silo 2, but clearly, uh, you know, expected to get the call that she could stay in Sweden for a while. You know, she's so these shows are all getting shut down. They're not going to get made. They're yeah. not going to happen. I, I was talking to Diego Luna um, and, and he's on the set. Of- he was robbed. He was robbed of a, of a nomination. You know, that he, wasn't a showy the, performance. I understand why. But but all of the actors on that, I mean, Stellan Skarsgård was robbed. Like the, the, the show was but not it, recognized. But it's, for it's a sci-fi but. kind of, uh, I mean, what's good about it is is Tony Gilroy and what yeah. he did. And I don't think it's, but it's not that it's, surprising. It's a great Diego Luna performance, but he's on the set for season two and they have four weeks to go. So like. This is a point I think we've we've addressed before. House of the Dragon is finally going to have to shut down. Yeah, this this is what people will notice is these hugely in demand shows that really do have strong fan bases that are commercial, that are appealing to a wide array of people. That Fran Drescher got this question at the press conference of what what you know, why should this matter to people who don't necessarily care about, you know, all of all of you know, all these industry conversations. And she was, you know, basically she, her point was like, well, they do care because they benefit from us. And she said during COVID, you know, we were there for them because you're watching all these things. And, and, you know, it seems sort of simplistic, but it's true. You, you notice when this, when your entertainment is gone. Well, the question I have is, 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 is there enough backlog of stuff to catch up with? Uh, You know, what if I wanted to catch up with, with season one and two of, of succession, you know, what if I wanted to catch up with, with, um, 
you know, uh, some other show I missed that I never watched uh, breaking bad, for example. I mean, I could do that now. I, I would, I would have time to do, there are a million shows I haven't seen. There's so many, everybody's in the same boat. I think Sarandos knows that and is sitting on his, on his hands, you know, ab, I, 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 when I hear that it's Sarandos and, and Zaslav who are in on these conversations, it makes my heart crawl because it, my skin crawl, be, because it, it, they don't, they don't, they don't care. They don't want to give up residuals. They don't want to have um, people paid fairly. They want to squeeze everybody's down to the nub. Um, yeah, what, the, but- what the actors are accusing them of they're they're right but they have trained consumers on on the the kind of the experiencing new things all the time and subscriber churn is real and the longer you wait but everyone will be in the same boat so who's in the best position would be netflix but but even so it's like netflix's library has its limits and people get frustrated when there's nothing to watch or nothing they want to watch. So you can burn through a lot of stuff that appeals to you. Well, They're maybe gonna have they'll to be forced to go to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. To the little art houses that have stuff that so there is a delay. There is a delay on the movie side. In other words, there's plenty of projects, plenty of movies coming up between now and the end of the year. So that will continue to move forward. It's a question of how they get promoted and how they get. You're right. They're going to have to come up with alternate ways, you know, beyond we won't be doing any interviews with talent. We'll be talking to directors from here well, on. Well, yeah, poor us. I mean, I love talking to filmmakers. It's you know, kind of I hard fun. Too, but <laughs> but, but uh, it's funny. So I went to the Mission Impossible New York premiere in Lincoln Center this week. And of course, it started half an hour late because Tom Cruise was signing autographs and doing red carpet and all that kind of stuff. But uh, man, he was he just was so in his element on that stage, introducing the seventh installment of this thing, which I thought was okay. Um, I I appreciated all the stuff that you talked about. Certainly the stunts are mind blowing. There's a lot of like filler to get there. But here's the thing. The crowd was so fired up by that introduction that it didn't you know, it was like you could have been watching like Battleship Potemkin or something. It was just like it felt like it was just. I got everybody it, ready for a masterpiece I that works out of watching Cruz uh, behave like a movie star. Cause he's been doing it a really long time. Right. Yeah. Risky business was what? 80. Yeah. He's 60 or something. Yeah. So he's been doing, he's been doing this a long time. So the cre- the thing is, is that if you actually listen to what he says, you know, it's always the same mantra. It's, you know, it's theaters matter. Come to theaters, come see it in the big. Yeah. And and he hardly ever varies from that. Um, But anyway, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing, but he can't do it on a big stage uh, anytime soon. So he's lucky that this movie came out. And then next week we'll get to talk about uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer. Barbenheimer, excuse me. I got to get my terminology. I'm going to see Barbie tomorrow. No. Yes, that's right. Tomorrow and Oppenheimer next next week. Yeah. And and I'll see have seen both by I think Monday or Tuesday. So this is like a real thing that's happening. But it's funny because those two kind of just barely made the cutoff where you could have some cat. I mean, it sounds like you can see uh, that they rushed some people into seeing it. They were keeping they were keeping the press at bay and then they rushed a handful of people in to see it early. And I was like, (laughs) why not me? I know, right? but at least at least it, it you know it it does seem like this will be good for the industry to have these movies opening in a big way. It's unfortunate that it won't lead to some immediate 
uh, fallout where say people are green lighting a bunch of movies that could go into production that could be, you know, exciting and edgy and different and auteur driven the way these two are because they, they could do well. I mean, Barbie is tracking right now at a hundred million dollars. We'll see. Wild. We'll see if it gets so to we that shall level. See. Yeah. All right, Anne. Well, enjoy your weekend. I'll see you on the other side and we'll see if the strike is still moving along. It is. And it will be. Okay. Bye. Bye.